Welcome to the Hollywood Editing Mentor Podcast. My name is Joaquin Elizondo, and I edit films and scripted TV shows in Hollywood. I created the Hollywood Editing Mentor Program to help aspiring editors start or advance their careers in post-production. I don't have any training in coaching or some fancy degree in psychology. I'm just a guy who is relentless in pursuing his goals and wants to help people do the same. But I didn't achieve happiness and success in my career alone. Throughout the years, I've come across some amazing people that have offered valuable advice and guidance. That's why I created the Hollywood Editing Mentor Program, to help people navigate the path to achieving their career goals. I've been in your shoes and gone through the same struggles. The challenges and fears on this journey are real. And I want to tell you, it is possible. What is up? Welcome to the first episode of the Hollywood Editing Mentor Podcast. I'm so happy you're here, and I'm just excited that you're joining me on this journey. Thank you for supporting the Hollywood Editing Mentor Program. You are my motivation for creating this. And so I just want to thank you and tell you that I appreciate you, and I just want to keep on growing this awesome community. Check out HollywoodEditingMentor.com. I got more information on there, and you can even sign up for the email list if you want to stay informed with everything that's happening here at Hollywood Editing Mentor. Before we get to our guest, though, I just want to send a quick shout-out to my homie Jesus the Punk for providing the show's music. Jesus the Punk, one of San Diego's best house music producers and DJ. Make sure to check out more of his music. You can find all his information in the show notes. All right, I'm so happy to launch this podcast with an awesome guest. Emmy-winning editor Nina Erb, ACE, is joining me today. And speaking of Emmys, she just got nominated for another one. This time, she's sharing the nomination with her assistant editor, Lenarian Hubbard, for their work on season four of HBO's Insecure. Nina has had a successful career both in unscripted and scripted television. She has been the editor on productions for HBO, Universal, ABC, CBS, Apple, and many others. In 2016, she received an Emmy Award for her work on HBO's documentary series, Project Greenlight. She also has received two Ace Eddie nominations for her work on Insecure and CW's acclaimed series, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. So today we're going to find out more about her amazing career and also dive into her process for editing the episode of Insecure that was nominated for Outstanding Single Camera Picture Editing for a Comedy Series at this year's Emmys. Okay guys, here we go with the first episode of the Hollywood Editing Mentor Podcast with editor Nina Erb, ACE. So we're excited to kick off the Hollywood Editing Mentor Podcast today with an amazing guest, Nina Erb, ACE. Nina, great to have you here. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited. Obviously, I mean, it's just we're kicking off the, the show. You just got nominated for an Emmy along with Lenarian Hubbard for your work on HBO's Insecure. And, you know, overall, Insecure is one of my favorite shows and you're here to talk about it and you and I get to chat. So overall, I'm just excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, so it's great to have you here. We'll talk about Insecure later on for sure. I first want to know about the early stages of your editing career when you were working on big, popular, unscripted TV shows. But before we even get to that, I just want to know more about you, where you're from, and how you got started in all this. Yeah, I'm a, I'm an immigrant. Uh, my parents, um, you know, we all immigrated here when I was very young. Of course, they didn't want me to go into business, but um, and somehow I found my way in. <laughs> uh, bounced around a lot, you know, doing different jobs in the art department. Um, you know, I was a second AD at one point and eventually landed at being a script supervisor. Um, and I, I have been doing that for a while, but people were asking me like, oh, do you want to edit? Do you want to direct? I knew I didn't want to direct. I didn't quite understand. I mean, I knew what editing was, but my perception of it was that you're alone in a dark room 
for hours on end. And it didn't really seem that appealing. Um, but eventually, you know, I kept searching and it wasn't until I got a job as an associate producer uh, where I got to work very closely with an editor and, you know, he showed me the impact of editing. I mean, he, it was, it was, it blew my mind to see how you can change the tone of a scene or like, you know, shape a character differently uh, just with some, you know, simple quick fixes on, on the keyboard. And I was like, all right, sign me up. Well, how do I do this? <laughs> um, he was kind enough to hire me as his assistant. Um, and I uh, moved up, uh, like you said, I worked a lot in nonfiction and after, you know, quite, quite a bit, I mean, it was like over a decade, I decided that um, I wanted to try something different. So I got into scripted television. Just curious, what did your parents want you to be? <laughs> doctor. <laughs> you know, like all immigrant parents are like, go be a doctor. No, I'm not a lawyer, but they, they really wanted me to be a doctor, you know, have that job security. <laughs> and so what was their reaction when you started working in TV? Um, they would, you know, every once in a while ask me, you know, because, you know, the, the nature of the business is freelance. And so you have time off. Right. And every time I had a little hiatus, they would say, so, uh, you want to think about going back to school? <laughs> Are you still liking this thing that you're doing? Like, <laughs> um, you know, cause it's a struggle. Like, as you know, like when you're starting out, you're not making the bills, you're just like barely doing it, you know? Um, and so, uh, yeah, so they, every chance they got, they kept asking if I would consider school again. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. I mean, my mom and my grandma still, I think, till this day, I think I st are worried about me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, you know, that just that I'm not stable or, you know, I'm not really sure they know what I do, but I just yeah. know they're worried. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know. <laughs> and so when you did start working in TV, how did you get into nonfiction and unscripted programming? I think it was because of the editor I was working with, he was working on um, this documentary series about um, um, musicians. And so I, that's kind of just where I started. Um, and then, you know, after a while, like, you know, your career kind of just takes over, <laughs> right? It, it becomes about people that, you know, and I eventually, after working for a while, I, um, uh, you know, got to know a lot of different people all working in nonfiction. And so that's kind of where I was for quite a bit of time. You worked on some pretty big shows, Top Chef, Dancing with the Stars, The Real Housewives of Orange County, Project Greenlight, for which you won an Emmy for in 2016. So obviously you had <laughs> yeah. a successful career in Unscripted, but were you thinking early on that maybe you wanted to move over to Scripted? You know, as I was coming up, I was just excited about the content. Um, I had done quite a bit of uh, documentary series And so it was very interesting. And then the whole reality competition, you know, series and, or, or just that fly on the wall reality shows like real world that started to take off. And, um, for me, I, um, I don't know, I, I didn't really think too hard about it for a long time. I just kind of let life lead me where it wanted. Um, but it was, you know, once I started kind of hitting my stride, uh, I started to want more, you know, I wanted different challenges and I wanted to tell different stories. I didn't want to kind of tell the same story a million different times. Um, so I, um, yeah, I, I just tried my best to make that transition. <laughs> Was it a feeling of wanting more creative challenges? Like you think it's like, well, I, I did my time here in nonfiction and I'm looking for something more just 
a different type of experience creatively? Yeah, it was definitely about different experience creatively, you know, because as, as a, you know, as an artist, as a creative storyteller, you want, you want a lot of different options and like different colors of, of paint to paint with, you know, like bigger palette. And so, um, yeah. So for me, it was like, okay, I, I feel like I've done a lot of the different, um, shows in the nonfiction arena. So I wanted to kind of try my, you know, try and see what would happen if I were to move to a, a different pool. Um, and, uh, and, you know, honestly, I didn't know anybody in that, in that part of it. Um, I had a couple friends, uh, but they were all so in such high positions that they couldn't necessarily hire me. Um, so I was ready to, you know, I was like, Hey, I don't care. I'll be an assistant. I'll make it work. <laughs> I'll do whatever it takes. Um, yeah, it, it's, it really took a lot. <laughs> But, you know. Yeah, talk about that, I guess, uh, that, that time then uh, at the point where you kind of realized, and if there was a, maybe a specific moment that you remember that it was like, all right, I'm going to pursue this now, transitioning to scripted. And then also, how did you personally went about it to make that transition? You know, it's very interesting because I had been cutting for a while when I decided to be an editor, I mean, to be an assistant. So yeah, so I interviewed to work on Curb Your Enthusiasm in the early seasons to be um, Steve Rash's assistant and uh, didn't get the job, <laughs> but somehow I maintained uh, a friendship with Steve and he's been kind of stepped into kind of our mental role for me. Um, and the um, associate producer at the time, um, Megan Murphy, uh, she's still on the show actually as a co-producer now. Um, she and I kind of hit it off too and it's, it's hilarious. Like time went by, you know, I kind of thought, well, maybe it's a good idea. They didn't hire me as assistant because I don't really know how to assist. (laughs) 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 I was like, I'll just keep editing and see what happens. And um, I ended up on a show. um, It was a music performance competition show. And Megan was working there as a post supervisor. And I was like, Hey, I know you. <laughs> She's like, yeah. Um, and unbeknownst to me, she had kind of been keeping an eye on my work the entire season and, and, you know, was, uh, she liked what I was doing and she was mo- moving on to another show called love spring international. Uh, and she took me with her. Somehow she convinced the producers that they needed to hire me and that my experience in, you know, the nonfiction world of having to go through and sift through so many hours and hours, thousands of hours of footage to build a story was going to be helpful because that series, that comedy series was, um, largely improv. So that's kind of how I got my first major credit. Uh, and then it was just a matter of like back and forth, back and forth, you know, between a scripted show and a reality show until I had enough credits to kind of get an agent and keep going, I guess. (laughs) But you were still diving back into the unscripted world at that time. Uh, bouncing back and forth. Yeah, yeah, because you know I was just starting out, and and for scripted stuff, uh, I my credits were not impressive at all. Uh, so you know sometimes I would get in the room because they liked to show like Top Chef or they were curious about something else that I'd done. Um, uh, Real Housewives apparently was a pretty popular one that used to get me in the room, which I like. Okay, whatever you know, whatever works with you. But people love that show. It's kind oh, of yeah. interesting. Oh yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. But I'm I'm glad because they got me in the room and <laughs> I could meet for shows and um, yeah, and you know I would go to meetings and I wouldn't get the job, but that was okay because at least I was getting in the room. <laughs> um, and uh, it, it took a little time, you know. And of course, I needed to pay the bill, so I would work in nonfiction and 
when a scripted project came along, I would do that. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was back and forth for quite a while. <laughs> and, and how did you then, I guess, having say those interviews, right? I mean, like when you are trying to basically, you know, you have this unscripted background and you're trying to convince someone that you are, can do the scripted job. Like, do you, do you remember kind of say maybe conversations or, or your strategies or what did you kind of do, say, even on your resume or, you know, to, to convince people to say, Hey, I, I know I have all this unscripted experience, but I can do the scripted work. It took me a while to formulate that in the early days. I really didn't know how to interview and explain or help kind of bridge what I was doing, you know, so that it made sense. Um, but I've uh, figured out that something that people want to know is that if you're fast, um, if you can tell a story and if you can handle a lot of, you know, material, because it was also the time that, you know, I think a lot of um, shows were transitioning off of film and they're going into digital cameras. And so people were shooting tons and tons of material. They were not cutting. So, um, you know, that was always a question that came up and I was like, yeah, I don't have a problem with that. I'm used to going through so much footage. You have no idea. <laughs> and so I think that's made me very decisive and, you know, make me be able to tell like what's important to tell the story quickly. So I get this question a lot. How fast of an editor do you need to be? You know, people <laughs> who are just starting out and could you shed some light into that? What, what does that mean? And, and does someone need to be fast? Fast is uh, not always what you think it means. Um, fast to me means that I can make decisions quickly and I can solve a problem quickly because it's, it's what's happening in my brain. Um, it's not the actual, you know, speed of typing. Cause I think everybody can type fairly fast. Um, but I think it's, it's a matter of like, okay, something's not right here. What's, what is the problem and understanding it well enough to go, Oh, okay. You know what? If I switch out this performance for another one, that's going to make more sense. And Oh, right. And then another reaction shot there. That's going to be more poignant than this one. So it's, it's kind of having a command of your dailies, knowing where everything is, regardless of, you know, whether it's a scripted show or rally show or a documentary, you got to know where everything is so that you can solve a problem. And, and it helps to be decisive too. I just want to go back real quick to what you said about transitioning to scripted TV. One of the things you and I had talked about previously is that there is no set formula for doing this. Right. Just because you and I share our stories about how we've transitioned from unscripted to scripted, it doesn't mean that that's the only way to do it. Yeah, it's interesting. I think there's no set path because it's a lot of it depends on the person's person, you know, the individual's personality and how, how uh, you know, comfortable they are reaching out to people for help, how they are with networking and how well they interview. So it's a, it's a, you know, it's a whole combination of things. And also a lot of it is also where they are in their life and whether they can take um, any sacrifices financially, you know, um, if they've been editing in nonfiction or reality shows for a long time and they're doing the big ones like the shiny floor shows, um, you know, they're making some pretty nice, <laughs> nice dough. And to stop that part of it and to be an assistant, it's not, I don't think a lot of people can do it because they have kids, they got a mortgage, you know, they have older parents they can take care of, whatever it is, you know, the financials may not align with their lifestyle. So 
So, you know, that variable is why I think everybody has their own path, you know, because it is all about who you know, (laughs) how brave you are with like cold calling people (laughs) and whether you can make that financial um, adjustment. Yeah. I mean, I often say that money doesn't get discussed enough. I make it a point, certainly when I meet with people, especially through the Hollywood Editing Mentor Program, uh, to talk about finances and to discuss their situation and then be totally upfront with them and say, hey, you might get lucky and get a union scripted TV job right away, or you might have to work on low budget indie features or maybe even do some free work. And so I'm always very upfront with everyone. The reality is that one might need to take low paying jobs to get the proper experience and make the right connections. So that's why I think it's important that people analyze their financial situation and see if they can actually do that because that's what it might take to get to where they want to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It really helps if you have family that's uh, supportive, you know, and that don't that don't mind kind of like, OK, let's save a ton of money so that you can make that transition next year. Um, and we, we have this extra stuff in the bank. So, it's you know, everything's going to be OK. Um, but it also, you know, takes support from your friends because it's it's difficult. I mean, you know, you know, when you're trying to break into a new genre and you don't have a lot of people rallying around you, it's difficult. You know, you get a lot of rejection and you have to try to, you know, digest why that happens so that if it's something that you can improve on, you, you do it. Um, and also kind of not, not let it get you down so that you can continue <laughs> to, you know, try to get in the room and convince them to hire you. <laughs> Did you go through some tough times? I mean, where you were like at, at any moment where like, man, this is rough. Like, I don't know if I want to do this. Or maybe moments of self-doubt or just uh, any struggles that you encountered, say, during the time you transitioned and maybe in the early stages of your scripted TV career. All the time. All the time. Even now. (laughs) Even now. (laughs) It it never stops. (laughs) Yeah, it it really never stops. I mean, Uh I, you know, it it never stops. But (laughs) you know, the, the transition took so many years and it was so frustrating because you know, I didn't, again, I was, I always tell people like, it looks like I said I wanted to transition. I walked into an HBO show. I, that's not what happened. It took a long time. I had my first general meeting with HBO, like 14 years before I got the first Emmy and another two years after I got my Emmy before they reached me out to me for insecure. So it's a, it's a long process. And, um, yeah, it was frustrating because I could never, I was, you know, accumulating some credits on some really, really funny shows and good shows that I liked, but they were never the ones that people talked about. They were great shows. I, I loved all of them. Um, but yeah, it, it just, it's not the ones that are, that end up on the cover of Variety or IndieWire. So, you know, it, it never, like one never helped me with the next. And I've had some interviews where people are just downright rude. (laughs) They go, I don't really understand any of your shows. I don't watch them. You know, I mean, because after a while I was doing a lot of um, black shows uh, and, you know, they're like, well, can you, can you cut white people comedy? (laughs) It would come up. I've had people say that and they're like, well, we don't know if you can do a white show. You know, you've done like three black shows. It's like, okay, great. I mean, what does that matter? You know, storytelling is storytelling. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And yeah, it was, it was frustrating. I was like, I'm just going to do one more nonfiction project and then that's it. I'm going to really do this full time. 
and that project was Project Greenlight. <laughs> <laughs> and you won an Emmy for that. Yeah. Yeah. It was shocking because like that, I'll tell you a story. There's a job that I show I really wanted. I um, knew everybody at the executive level on the series and um, on the studio side who was running the series. And so, you know, they knew me, they knew I could do the job, but they were getting a new showrunner for this fourth and fifth season of a drama crickets for like a month. They would just not return my call, not return my emails, nothing. Okay. So I kind of gave up. Then I get this Emmy and literally the next day it was like, it wasn't even when I um, was nominated. It was after I won the next day. They're like, Hey, do you want to come work on the show? And I was like, yeah, I'd love to. When do you want to meet? They're like, no, 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 you're hired. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <Monday>. so, <laughs> yeah. I was like, wait, I'm still the same person, you know? Wow. <laughs> yeah. So like, really this, this little bobble means that much to you? <laughs> I mean, it was wild. I mean, it's great that you've won several awards and worked on big shows. Uh, not everyone uh, certainly has that experience in this industry. Uh, and there's some people that, say, want to work in scripted TV for that, to win the awards. And then they're disappointed when they come to find out that it's, well, not that simple. I mean, you know, I I don't ever really seek out shows that are that I think will be high profile. because you never know. You really just never know. Um, and it's in honestly, like I, I always tell people, if you're, if you're in this business to get that award, you're going to be very disappointed because there's so many people that never get recognized. They do beautiful work on fantastic shows, but it's, I mean, it really is such a luck of the draw. You know, it really is. It's about, what shows are up for competition, what shows are breaking through the noise. We know when there's so many programs on air. So it's, those are all difficult things to look at. So I just try to pick shows that I, you know, enjoy watching and um, that's what I do. I mean, I, I, yeah, I loved, you know, this drama at that. I don't want to say the name. <laughs> I don't want to call them out. Uh, but yeah, I love that one uh, series. And so I was chasing after it. Unfortunately, I got it. But, um, and, you know, with Crazy X, I loved the series from day one. And, um, and I was fortunate enough to have a friend that was on there. And he, he was persistent. He kept putting my resume in front of the showrunners. And finally, did, they decided to meet with me because um, they recognized Project Greenlight. <laughs> and they recognized um, the Bieber movie that I worked on. Um, and so, yeah, so we had coffee and it all went really well got the job. Um, and fortunately crazy ex-girlfriend is one of those series that, um, the critics loved, right. It was getting awards. Critics loved it. But like, I think like hardly, I don't even think our fan base reached over a million. I don't know. I mean, I could be wrong, but I, I don't think our fan base was huge at all. Um, the show was on the verge of beginning canceled every, every season, but it kept getting renewed because it kept getting awards like golden globes and Emmy nominations and that. So because of that, it was a low pressure situation. <laughs> you know, the show felt like they could take a chance on someone like me because it wasn't so high profile. I mean, it was high profile, but not really. It, it was a weird, it fit in a weird niche, you know? And, um, Yeah. So that worked out really well for me. And then that show opened up doors to, to other shows, um, you know, like 
Insecure. They'd known about that show because they have a lot of music in, in Insecure as well, different kinds of music, but there was still a lot of use of music. Um, yeah, and as luck would have it, Insecure being a black show, it all kind of came around. <laughs> all the black comedies I worked on, they all knew each other. So it, I felt really good. <laughs> it was like, okay, see, my experience is not irrelevant. You know, everything leads to another. And this is where it comes full circle. It was great. It was great. How did you then start working on black comedies? Well, uh, one of the shows, um, my first show was, uh, was just a, a comedy, improv comedy love spring is uh but my I'm trying to remember now my second big break um was on real husbands of hollywood it was kevin hart's um his like parody of the real housewives series um you know obviously i got in the room because they saw that i did real housewives and but also because they saw i did a concert movie and um they were that you know they were able to look past the resume and kind of go okay that show is what we're trying to parody. So that makes sense. We also have a lot of musical elements in our show. So she's cut concert. She's cut um, dancing with the stars. So she knows how to do that. And yeah. And I managed to convince them to give me a chance. Um, but I'll be honest with you. I, a lot of productions that I've been on, the ones that were always more open to giving people chances have for me anyways, been the black shows. Um, those shows have been more diverse, um, a little more inclusive for women, men, you know, people of color. Uh, so I think, um, yeah, I was really lucky to fall in with that group because they were, they were great to me. I did like multiple seasons of that show. Um, so it was, it was good times. I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> did someone ever say to you, Hey, can you, or ask you, can you cut black comedy? I mean, like did that conversation ever come up? No, mm -mm. Well, it was funny. I still remember my first meeting um, with uh, <laughs> the, one of the co-creators and showrunners. I happened, they scheduled a meeting during lunch. And so they were eating lunch while I was meeting with them. And I remember Ralph Farquhar as the producer. He was, he took a bite of his rib and he goes, you know, this is a black show, right? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like holding the rib. Yeah. And part of me was like, I should make a joke right now. Like, oh, gotta, you know, like get up and leave. Um, <laughs> but it was such a funny thing. I was like, yeah, that's why I'm here. Cause I want some of that rib or something like that. I said, so I don't know. It was something completely stupid, but, but you know, it made him laugh. Uh, Chris Spencer was in a room and he laughed and, um, there were a couple of little silly little moments that I took advantage of during the interview. And I guess it, it worked out. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you can lure me into any meeting if it involves eating ribs. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm here because I want the ribs. Ribs, exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, and now, obviously, you're working on Insecure, one of my favorite shows, and you have been nominated, along with Lenarian Hubbard, for episode nine of the latest season, season four of Insecure. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. That's so awesome. Um, I Obviously, I'm going to geek out here. Um, like I, I told you before, uh, but I'll start off with talking about the hiring process because as we all know, working in this industry, we're not like on some job site ah, and say, I'm going to apply for this job today. You know, um, <laughs> what is, was the process specifically of getting hired on insecure? How did you get that gig? Well, uh, when I was working on the drama right after, um, my first Emmy, 
they had uh, started season two, I believe, and um, uh, they needed to find another editor. And so HBO called me and asked me if I was available. And I said, well, yes and no. <laughs> like, I would love to be available for your show, but I can't jump ship. <laughs> and I've also kind of just made a deal with um, Crazy X to go right into that. So, uh, so that was my first interaction with them on Insecure. A year, you know, fast forward to a year later, I was finishing up um, Crazy X. I decided, you know, I think I should get an agent at this point. Um, and got an agent and a month into it, she goes, Hey, do you care about driving to Manhattan beach? And I was like, no. She's like, really? I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll drive anywhere if I like the show. <laughs> she goes, okay, great. Well, I have a meeting for you for, with HBO for insecure. And I was like, yes, so excited. So excited. Cause I love the show. I love the show. And, um, and I had wondered if they were ever going to come back around for season three and I'm so glad they did. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I went in there, had a meeting with them. Um, this is a crazy little detail, but I had been to Cuba uh, about a month before the interview and broke my foot there. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I didn't really know it um, until like maybe a few days before the meeting that it was broken. Cause I was like, God, why is this still hurting? And went to the doctor like, because you're broken. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, okay, great. I'm walking around the boot. And I was like, oh, well, I can't walk into the interview with a boot. That's just stupid. <laughs> so I like shoved my foot into a, a normal shoe. Oh, you know. as, as normal as I could yeah. did my interview and hobbled back. Out. <laughs> so pro tip, if you break your foot before an interview, do not wear a boot. Suck it up. Do not wear a boot. I took the boot off. I was like, oh, I'm not going to go in an interview with a boot. Yeah. I don't know what it was. It just didn't think it was a good move. But, you know, fortunately, we all got along very well. It felt like I was chatting with friends. Um, and uh, I was walking really slow back to my car because my foot. <laughs> and even before I got into my car, my agent called and said, hey, they really like you. They're calling for your references already. Um, you know, I think they want to offer you the job. So that was pretty exciting. <laughs> you think it was just like you just kind of more connected then than say with, with them, uh, people in the room than say, you know, getting specifically about how good of an editor you are, or I mean, you know, whatever that really means. And 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 was it more just simply like you just hit it off? I think you know, I think it's um, I would say that ninety percent of all meetings is just whether they get along with you or not. You know, because I think uh, at that point I had gotten an award for HBO and I'd gotten a couple well-known credits or, you know, credits that are recognizable. And so that got me into the room. And I think it was really the connection. We talked about music a lot and I had this, I shared a story that was quite embarrassing, but they laughed so hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, on, uh, real husbands of Hollywood, we would sit and eat lunch together and, and someone said, you know, so, um, you know, what's the most recent music you got? You know, we went around the table and everybody told what they got. And I said, oh, I just got some music from the internet. I was like, everybody's quiet. They're like, yeah, we know you can get music off the internet. <laughs> I'm like, no, the band is called internet. <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, okay. And then so like they totally teased me like for the entire lunch. And I was like, all right, y'all don't get it. 
That's cool. <laughs> I'm going to show yeah, you. <laughs> yeah. And then like on one of the episodes in season one of Insecure, they played songs from the internet. Oh, really? <laughs> I was watching with my friend. I was like, this is the, this is what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. I was like, that, you know, that's it. Like, that's what I'm talking about. I didn't buy it from the internet. I bought music from the internet. <laughs> That's awesome. And so I shared that story with them, and they were dying. So I think I think the connection to the music um, was probably helped a lot because uh, Issa's, you know, she wants to she's she wants to make a great show, but she wants the music to be dope. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, that's a big part of the show, and definitely want to ask you more about that in a little bit. But how did you prepare to cut this episode, which, by the way, was directed by Kerry Washington, and what was your process like during the daily stage? Um, yeah, we always start with a table read where the cast is there, the director's there, the studio's there. Um, and so that's the beginning of any episode uh, on the series. And for that one, for Loki trying, there's no different. We did a table read uh, and then we would do a production meeting. And after the production meeting, they would do a tone meeting um, where the director, uh, and, and this varies by show actually, but for this, for Insecure, they would let the director kind of um, be in charge of the tone meeting. And so Carrie basically went through the entire script and kind of talked about what's, what she's trying to see for this and this and this. And if she had a question, the showrunners were there like, okay, so for this line, are you, is she more, you know, like, is she covering when she's saying this or is she like uh, blatantly, you know, visibly upset? And so, you know, we kind of went through the entire script about that and, and it was just amazing. Like Carrie is so creative. Like she was trying to in, infuse the entire episode with symbolism that you'd have to really pay attention to, to kind of catch. And uh, fortunately uh, I was paying attention to her. So <laughs> I remember that when I looked at the dailies. Um, yeah. So it was, it was such a joy. Like in, in my processes, I always read the scene before I cut it a couple times so that I have it like kind of really burned into my brain. And so when I'm watching my dailies, I'm actually cutting it in my head before I'm actually cutting it. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was, it was a great process. Um, I had a lot of fun with the transitions too in that episode and the music and, you know, there's, I picked up on the little clues that she was kind of trying to not clues, but like I picked up on all her, her symbolism, I guess, you know, in, in why she composed things a certain way. And when she came in for her director's cut, she, we watched it together and kind of, she kind of like looked at me and I was like, Oh crap, she shouldn't like it. <laughs> but she was like, I love it. She's like, it's like you got into my head. <laughs> so that was it. Like, you know, she watched it again. We did some notes and that was kind of it. There's a really cool transition that you do where you use an overhead shot of some eggs on the griddle. Um, are those transitions written into the script or do you just figure out where they need to be? Uh, and, and I also noticed the use of jump cuts in some sections. Um, yeah, none of the transitions are scripted. Um, it's, um, it's really up to the editor to kind of like put them in there when they feel it's right. Um, and I try to use the transitions to kind of like um, reinforce the element of like two, the concept of two, right? Issa and Molly, the two best friends. Um, and um, so if you look at it, you'll see that in certain shots, there's like two palm trees or like there's, you know, a bunch of murals and the murals are always kind of like with two people or like the first one with them, that's Shepard Faraday. I think Shepard Faraday did that one in Maya Angelou about rising above. Like that was kind of a little like, okay, they're at a, you know, they're fighting, 
Like, and none of them want to rise above and be the bigger person, or they think they are, but they're really not. <laughs> um, so I, I kind of always make sure that my transitions are helping to tell a story rather than just, here's some beautiful shots of the outside, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. And, and I, you know, I was using it to kind of connect people. It's like, okay, we're leaving South LA, we're going to Burbank. So those, that's what the sequence of shots will be. And, um, yeah. And the eggs, that was really fun. That was really, really fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that was just like, okay, you know, they're starting to talk, things are getting going. Let's, let's crack it open. And it was like the two, you know, egg yolks. Um, and you're talking about the jump cuts of Issa when she's going to Nathan's apartment, right? For the first time. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. That was definitely not shot that way. It was just a long shot following her all the way down that path from the front and the back. Um, and I had it like that for, for a little while before I turned in my editor's cut. And I just kept looking at it, looking, I'm like, mm, you know, this is not, this is not working for me because for me to use that one continuous shot, I would have had to find one that had all the performances I liked. And, and I was liking different pieces from different takes. So first I tried to put that, the words in her mouth <laughs> didn't really work. <laughs> so then I was like, all right, let's just jump cut it. But then I, I tried my best to make it like, so that it's, she's bigger and she gets tighter and closer to you as she gets to the frame. Um, and that, that actually worked really well for me because I got to use all the takes that I liked all the performances, you know, for the lines. Well, I love what you did there. And I thought it was hilarious when she Finally gets to the door and says hi to Nathan. So it worked. It was it was great. How was it then uh, collaborating with Lenarian Hubbard? Uh, she was your assistant editor uh, on the show, uh, but got the additional editor credit and is sharing this Emmy nomination with you. Uh, how was the process like collaborating with her and what kind of workflow did you set up or did you establish any specific way of working? We have a great um, workflow. Uh, we figured out a way to, to do things where... Um, you know, every morning when I come in, if it's the first day, uh, I'll usually come in a little later to give her a little time to kind of do her dailies. And if it's, you know, later in the week where I've already had scenes to cut, I, I will rework my scenes. Because what I do is I do multiple different versions of every scene, completely different. Um, and the next morning I'll look at it and pick what's right. So the beauty of that is she has time to work without me like hovering over her. And as soon as she's done, I always tell her, like, you know, when your work is done, if you want something, if you want to cut something, go for it. You know, um, I'm not precious with any of it. So uh, if you are ready to show it to me, we can look at it. Uh, and um, so it worked really well. Like she was able to get her work done and just cut whatever she wanted to cut. And for that particular episode, she had cut show within the show. I don't know if you were familiar with that. Um, mm -hmm. Looking for a lawyer. Yeah. And so... And that was in the TV that Molly and Andrew were watching. That was great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and she did a first pass of the opening montage. But, um, but you know, that's mostly, it's always things that just, it's how we work. You know, she can exactly. cut whatever she wants. And, and sometimes I'll have her cut certain things that I am not feeling at the moment. <laughs> um <laughs> And I'll use it as a jumping off ground. So that's, you know, she had cut some stuff and I, I felt it was appropriate to ask for additional editing credit for her. And, and, um, and I thought, you know, I wanted her to be on the, the, the ballot with me. Um, I certainly didn't expect this, but this is, this is 
so amazing. Oh, so great. So <laughs> I was great. hoping maybe, you know, I said, oh, wouldn't it be nice if it was you and me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's, that's so awesome. I'm so happy for both of you. Uh, you know, I, 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 yeah, I also reached out to Lenarian to say, Hey, congrats. That's so awesome. Um, so yeah, I want to talk about the use of music, uh, in the episode. Uh, awesome music as always just in the show in general has great music. Um, what was the song selection process for you, you know, working with a music supervisor, working with the director showrunner? I mean, can you talk about just kind of what it, what conversations go into, uh, selecting the right music? So basically after I cut every episode, I will kind of look at it and go, okay, what's the heart of the scene? What is this about? What's the vibe? And then I kind of like start auditioning music that our music supervisor puts together for us. Um, Keir Lehrman, who's also nominated for his work on the episode, he usually sends us like drops every week and, you know, he'll have his selects, his picks from the drop and then the drop. And so we just look through that and try to find a song that fits, you know, the scene and, and the vibe and the tone and, and hopefully the lyrics also work and, you know, and if it's typically going in the main titles, I like to make sure that it's a female rapper or a female artist. Yeah. The thing that's interesting about their use of music on the show is that uh, she likes to use uh, music that um, hasn't been released or is about to be released at the same time as the episode premieres. So uh, it, it, you know, here really, I don't know how he does this, but he has a knack for finding new artists that are, you know, hopefully based in South LA um, and with songs that are, you know, super dope and, but not yet released. (laughs) So it's like, yeah, it's quite a, quite an accomplishment on his part. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just blown away by the things that he's able to find. So, so in terms of being um, familiar with that, it's, it's nothing that you can be too familiar with because a lot of it hasn't been um, heard often, you know, before the show. (laughs) Um, So yeah, so it's, it's all new (laughs) all the time. (laughs) Yeah. That's certainly something I appreciate about the show is that, you know, it tries to showcase, you know, these up and coming artists, uh, but at the same time, it's also showcasing local businesses. Yeah. And, you know, now I live in South LA and, you know, I live where, where the show takes place. And so I actually go to these places. So it's just great that someone is making an effort to highlight this community. You know, that South LA is very, very special to Issa. Um, I believe it's kind of where she grew up. Uh, don't quote me, but I, I think so. <laughs> um, but yeah, but I'm, I'm with you. Like that neighborhood is so uh, special to me because, you know, it's where my family and I immigrated, that we settled in that, that neighborhood. So, so yeah, so to work on a show that's about, you know, the first area that we lived in, as complete immigrants <laughs> um, is, is special, you know, because the, the community and our circle of friends, when we just first got here, it, it, was, it was incredible. Like they didn't have to embrace us the way they, d- they did, you know, but they did. And I'm never going to forget that. So, so the show is special to me in that way as well. This episode was directed by Carrie Washington. Uh, how was it uh, working with her in the cutting room? It was great. It was super easy. Um, you know, she, every director has two, two days on a half hour episode. And so she had her two days and we got through the show like one and a half times in our first day. And there was a couple things she wanted me to try, like the different versions of the opening montage. And so, um, 
that's what she kind of left me with when she, you know, left after day one. And on day two, she tried to get back in, but I think she was like working on a movie or something and she couldn't get away. So that was a fun process. Like I would do different versions and I would kind of like put them on a timeline and Lenera would export them. I text her, I was like, okay, it's up. <laughs> and she would look at it and text me back notes. I would do it. <laughs> I was like, we repeat that until we found the, the one that she liked. Um, but, um, but yeah, she was a joy to work with. She, you know, knew exactly what she wanted and she didn't have an issue, um, you know, talking it through and, you know, um, and she was perfectly fine watching me work, which was kind of interesting because there was one scene, I think something, I don't remember what happened, but for some reason, there was one scene that I hadn't finished when she came in for the director's cut. And I, I seriously do not know what happened. I can't remember. But so, so I had to cut that in front of her. <laughs> that was very interesting. I was like, hey, sorry, I don't have the scene. Like, she's like, oh, cool, whatever. Just, I'll just hang out. I was like, great. So she's like hanging out. She's, you know, doing her thing on her phone. And I'm just cutting the scene. And, and I said, okay, so this very, very quickly roughed out. You know, I'm, I have to go through to do um, a subtext pass, you know. Uh, but it's, I think the bones are there and let's just take a look. And it was the roughest scene I have ever shown to a director, but she didn't have a problem looking at it. She knew where I was going with it. And she was like, this is great. And then we changed like one, one performance, I think. And that was it. She's like, great. So, you know, you'll do your pass on it. We'll look at it again tomorrow. So that was another thing that she looked at on the second day, um, on the phone when we did the whole (laughs) thing. What is usually your approach to working with directors and what advice could you give to someone who is just starting out and is new to working with a director? Well, I usually like to, if it's a director I haven't worked with, I usually, you know, reach out via email or text or whatever they choose to, however they want to communicate and give them my information. Say, Hey, introduce myself. I'm your editor. Um, you know, let me know if you're concerned about anything. I'm happy to, as the dailies come in, I'm happy to make a certain scene of priority if you're concerned about coverage. And, um, and that's worked really well. And I think it, it puts a lot of directors, at least the ones that I've worked with at ease, um, because a lot of the people that I have just by luck of the draw, I've been working with a lot of, um, you know, up and coming directors, first time directors. Um, and so I think they're a little more nervous perhaps, you know, uh, So, yeah, so I think that's gone really well just to put them at ease and, you know, and, you know, I always say like, if you, if you're concerned about something, let me know. Um, And they always want to hear my input if if I feel like something's missing. And, you know, I, I just, I don't take anything personally. Like sometimes when, you know, what I learned, what's interesting is when I'm working with a director, sometimes they'll seem very upset about something and it has nothing to do with you. It's they're upset at themselves because they didn't get something that they wanted. (laughs) (laughs) And so once you know that, I think it, it, the vibe in the room is just more chill, you know, (laughs) it's not so tense. Um, And so I think, I think for all editors out there, especially the ones that are collaborating with directors for the first time or, or they're very new at it, just, they just got to keep that in their minds that if the director is, seems upset about a, a, an edit it's really not the edit they're just not thrilled that they can't that there's something that isn't coming across because they missed the shot you know or, or maybe they didn't miss a shot but they don't like how it ended up looking so that would be my biggest piece of advice introduce yourself <laughs> be supportive be their champion <laughs> and um yeah and don't take anything personally 
<laughs> oh yeah. I mean, that's, that's, it's important to understand that concept. Definitely. Mm-hmm. How was it uh, working with Issa Rae, especially uh, as being, uh, you know, one of the stars of the show and, and being the creator, how did it come then when, say, when picking performances and say you're watching back? I mean, she's, she's seen herself then now uh, on screen. I'm interested in hearing like how those conversations go. Specifically talking about performances. Oh, um, she's very objective. Um, I remember the first time I worked with her, I wasn't sure what to expect because it was the first time. And it was the strangest thing because it was almost like we had been working together for a while. Like I was very comfortable sharing my thoughts and, um, and she was... She was great. She could look at herself and be objective and kind of, you know, talk through the performances that she wants and she can pick and say, "Eh, I don't know. I don't think that one works either. And then we'll go through all of them and she'll, she'll either say, Oh, okay. I see why you did that. And let's keep yours. Or she'll say, let's try the fourth take. And, you know, sometimes it'll stick, sometimes it won't. So So it was a fun collaborative process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely very collaborative. She, you know, she wants your opinion and, um, and it's great because, you know, I don't, I don't feel like I have to censor myself. You know, I feel like I can just tell her what I think and, and, uh, and she's here to listen too. So. <laughs> well, it sounds like it was a great experience. So again, very happy for you and Lenarian. And it was really cool to get some insight into the editing of this Emmy nominated episode of Insecure. So thanks again for sharing your experience. Nina, you've had an amazing career, and I think it's safe to say that you've worked really hard to achieve such success and maybe even had to overcome some obstacles at times. Being that you and your family immigrated from Taiwan, did your parents talk to you about the possible challenges that you might encounter growing up as an immigrant in this country? Mm. Um, Well, growing up, my parents had multiple jobs, you know, because they had to to make things work. Uh, And um, because we don't you know, none of us came for money. So <laughs> it was a very kind of, I would say probably a typical immigrant experience where they held down several jobs until they had enough to save up for a house and whatnot. Um, and so it was always uh, instilled in me earlier, early in life that I needed to work super hard. And, you know, it's funny, like I, I didn't know what my mom meant at the time, but now I do. Um, she'd always said that, you know, you're going to have to work harder than anybody, you know, that, right? And I was like, okay, sure. Yeah. Okay. I didn't realize that she said that, that she meant, you know, not only would I have to work harder as a person of color, um, and minority, she said, she was thinking that like, because I'm a woman also, like you're gonna, you know, you're gonna work hard and it's still not going to be good enough. Um, and honestly, like it really, it really wasn't until I started working that I realized what she was saying. Um, because, and I'm sure you can identify with this too. It's like, sometimes I feel like even when you're given the chance to work on a project, um, and even though you're fully qualified to be there and you're doing a great job, it's, it's never enough. They're always still going to be watching over your shoulder, like making sure that you're not screwing it up and you're doing it right. You know, and it's, it's, it's interesting. It's just interesting. <laughs> you know, I always was taught to just work hard, you know, and I never, in my experience, uh, you know, at the workplace, like I never, if I did not get a, 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 a job or, you know, if I didn't get an, an opportunity, I never saw it as maybe because I'm Latino or have, you know, I'm brown or, you know, it wasn't until like literally recently that I was like, man, like looking now back at my experiences, I'm like, 
wow, this, okay, now I see it, you know, uh, yeah, I totally, you know, because there was positions where like, say, or times where I was a, uh, there was a, 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 a white editor, uh, you know, working at the same company and did the sa- exact same thing as I did. We did the same thing, same job. And uh, certainly that person would get more opportunities than I did. And at that time it was just simply me saying, well, he's more qualified or just has more experience or whatever. I never thought of it that way until recently. Mm-hmm. And so then I was talking to another, uh, you know, uh, Mexican friend of mine, and he said the exact same thing. Yeah, yeah. I was um, talking to a friend, too, and describing how, what a revelation it was when I realized it. Uh, Because in in a lot of this, I realized when I was trying to make the transition into scripted stuff, um, because I had two other friends who were also trying to make the transition. They were males uh, and um, white males. and they're great friends of mine. We're still all good friends and we were all trying to, you know, make that leap. I, they were always getting hired before me. And I always thought, oh, it's because, you know, they are more qualified, whatever. And then it wasn't until several years after that, that I came across um, a post producer that knew them as well. And, you know, I asked her, I was like, oh, how did that work out? You know, I was really bummed, but I get it. You know, you guys hired the most qualified person. She was like, well, you know, She's like, all of your resumes were exactly the same. None of you had much scripted experience. And, you know, I think the producer was just more comfortable with them. And that's when I was like, oh, okay, got it. Yeah. You, I, mean, <laughs> I, mean, firsthand, I mean, it was like it was there, clear, it's evidence. It's yeah. Like, okay. I yeah. It is. And I would have, I'd still be thinking that, you know, they were getting the jobs because they were more qualified than me rather than, you know, I mean, you know, like you and me, we're not, we don't look like the typical editor that they are used to seeing, you know? And so, you know, some, some guys are just more comfortable working with other guys, you know, other guys that look exactly like them, you know? Um, and, and I, you know, I, I feel like it might go both ways too, because I've had uh, editors tell me that when they meet with a female showrunner, they never get the job. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's kind of interesting. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think uh, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning about being, you know, having the right personality match, you know, and clicking in the room, I guess. What can, I guess, we do to kind of, you know, uh, promote more diversity in the workplace, uh, specifically, say, in post-production? Um, well, I, I'm a big advocate of mentoring and, you know, um, helping the next generation kind of find their own. And, uh, and also, you know, when the person is, um, kind of, when you feel that they're ready to make that job, like I'm more than happy to help, you know, connect them. And if I know the producer, I will tell them a little more about why I think they should meet with them so that, because people are more than just the credits on a resume, you know, and, and I think a lot of times it doesn't come through if you're just like, oh, here's a resume and you don't say anything about them. So, yeah. So when I know that I can um, kind of do a little pitch for the person I'm trying to uh, recommend, um, I, I do. I make sure I do that. Um, and I say, yeah, mentoring is a big one. Helping people in there, advocating for your assistant um, is a big one, you know, and passing other people's resumes around when you hear about jobs and, and trying to advocate for them, um, you know, because again, it, it's, this is a business about relationships, right? And it's so hard to break into that circle of friends when you're on the outside. So if you have someone that can kind of help kind of crack the door open so you can come in 
that would make a world of difference. Well, it's great to hear that you're an advocate for mentoring and that you're out there trying to make a difference, trying to change things. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, I think, you know, I am definitely as well, especially with this Hollywood editing mentor program. And I know uh, my colleagues, friends, you know, we're all doing the same thing. And that's great. I love seeing the changes that are happening. And I just hope that there's, it continues and there's a lot more. Yeah, uh, so yeah me too. Me too. <laughs> very, very interesting times. Uh, one last question. Uh, Nina, what do you think makes a good editor? <laughs> oh gosh, it's a combination of things, but I'd say being a good listener, being a collaborator, and leaving the ego at the door. <laughs> We're going to have a lot more of those conversations here uh, on this Hollywood Editing Mentor <laughs> podcast about that, but I'm, I'm glad you bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome, Nina. I really enjoyed talking to you. It was good catching up and just seeing you again. Congrats on your Emmy nomination and such Thank a successful you, career. Thanks again, and I'm going to be cheering for you and Lanarian at this year's Emmys for sure. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks again to Nina Erb, ACE, for joining me on this first episode of the Hollywood Editing Mentor Podcast. And just so you know, according to her bio, her parents no longer ask her if she'd consider medical school. All right, guys, that does it for the first episode of the Hollywood Editing Mentor Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to never miss an episode. I got a lot more great guests lined up. We're going to be hearing more great interviews soon, so make sure you subscribe to the Hollywood Editing Mentor Podcast. And a big thank you to Jesus the Punk for providing the show's music. I got all this information in the show notes. Make sure to check them out. And if you want to know more about the Hollywood Editing Mentor Program, head over to HollywoodEditingMentor.com. Sign up for the email list so you stay up to date with all the content that's coming out of Hollywood Editing Mentor. Thanks again for joining me on this first episode of the Hollywood Editing Mentor Podcast. My name is Joaquin Elizondo, the creator of the Hollywood Editing Mentor Program. I'll see you next time. <laughs>